It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Donald Bloom, President and CEO of Prime Retail Services, an international company with operations in the US, Canada, and Mexico. Prime provides construction services, equipment installation, technology deployment, and multi-site electrical services to national and international multi-site property owners and managers. Donald holds a Bachelor of Business Administration and Accounting from the University of Georgia and has held a CPA license in the past. After graduation, Donald worked with regional CPA firms working with audit, tax, and business consulting clients. The experience in public accounting provided Donald with the experience to start other business ventures in Georgia. His wife, Joy, and their 12 children also share in the pursuit of this daily purpose. The positive impact is created by living out the core values of Prime, which are honesty, integrity, hard work, putting others above themselves, and thanking God for his provisions. Donald's family mission is to love with his wife as Christ loved the church, and he measures this by asking his wife and children for frequent feedback, and in doing so, has generated strong support of his mission by everyone in the family. Donald Bloom, welcome into the corner office. Brand, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me and look forward to our time today. Oh, great, great to hear your voice as well. And I know you're located down in Georgia. Have the uh, you know, the blossoms start to come out yet and has spring sprung down in your part of the world? Or are you still experiencing a little bit of that cold we've had so much of this last year? No, hey, the, the Masters commercials are on TV, so Georgia is blooming. They can't. All right. The Masters. Good stuff. Good stuff. Great. Well, Donald, we always like to start in the beginning and not necessarily your career, but kind of the early days. So tell us about your early family life, where you grew up and, you know, a little bit about your mom and dad and siblings. Sure. No, thanks. I'm, I'm one of those Southerners that grew up in Niagara Falls, Georgia, uh, New York. So a little, <laughs> bit, a little bit different. Uh, growing right. up in Western New York to a family that was, uh, you know, an immigrant family that had moved there and established themselves and worked in the factories. And, you know, I tell people that was really a blue collar type of family. They, they yeah. worked hard, they played hard, and they kind of just lived life in that Western New York area. Where did they where did they immigrate from, Don? Uh, we had a mixture. We're, we're Polish, so my last name Bloom is not my uh, traditional name. Right. It was changed when they came over, but but Polish and English. All right, cool, cool, awesome. And mom and dad uh, blue collar. Then mom worked from the home. What what was kind of the yeah? The yeah everybody story? worked. My my dad worked in a car body body shop, and my mom drove school buses. 
There was four siblings, uh, wow. myself, a brother, two sisters, and we, we grew up with a lot of cousins and a lot of family with snowmobiles, uh, card playing. And, and at that time, Genesee beer was the the drink that most of them drank. So it, it was, uh, I, I grew up in that lifestyle. When you grow up in that, you don't know that life is any different yeah. than what you're in. So yeah. I got to experience that, the good and the bad of that. Um, but loved my family. However, my, my dad had a vision to move uh, to Florida. Yeah. We didn't quite make it. So we right. ended up in Athens, Georgia when oh. I was 11. 11. Okay, got it. So that's been home for a while. Love it. And uh, mom and dad both immigrated or were they sons and daughters of immigrants? Yeah, no, they were, they were grandchildren. Of the, grandchildren. So okay. the, the great grandfathers were the ones that, that lived in, in both countries and then moved okay. over and, uh, you know, just started their American life right there yeah. in Western New York. Awesome. Awesome. What are some of your fonder memories of, of, you know, things that mom and dad taught you while you were growing up? Yeah, you know, and I, I tell people this. My dad gave me a legacy of hard work. Uh, mm. This is an interesting story, but this gives an example uh, of what our life was like. Um, he, in Western New York, he made my brother and I cut wood every Saturday during the summers because oh. in New York, during the winter, you needed a, a fireplace. You oh, needed yeah. a lot of wood. And oh, so yeah. we moved to a beautiful, warm Athens, Georgia, and we have a fireplace and we probably used it two times a year, but every summer, every Saturday, guess what we did? We You must have had a big wood pile out there. We had yeah, we had so we could have the whole community could have used it. But you know, sometimes in life you hate you hate what your parents put you through. That's true. Or you don't appreciate it, I should yeah, say. Yeah. But that that hard work um, really taught me um, just to apply myself, work six day a week, six days a week. I, I was one of the first uh, children in my entire family to go to college. And, right. and yeah. I worked through college. I got married at a young age. Yeah. And that hard work work just, just stayed with me. Stayed with and you. It was a yeah. legacy my dad taught me. Were you a good student in secondary school? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I have more CEOs that say that than, than the other. So <laughs> you're in a good, you're in good company. No, I, that's funny. I, I was didn't have direction. I, you know, my dad taught me yeah. to work hard, but he really didn't provide direction in my life. Yeah. And, yeah. and I tell people when you have no direction, usually you go the wrong direction. And, right. and that was, that was part of my teenage years, yeah. unfortunately up to a point. And then into college, um, you know, I was just there to kind of get through it. I didn't really understand or have a vision of what I wanted to become. I just knew hmm. that I did not want to, uh, you know, work like I, my grandparents worked yeah. and then my yeah. parents worked. I wanted something different. Work with your head instead of your hands. Yeah. What what about uh, other types of distractions then? Were there sports, music, theater? What what, what were things that keep you busy during that? Uh, yeah, during no, our, our childhood. Uh, I mentioned my three siblings. We were there was four of us within really five and a half years, so we were very similar ages. Yeah. Um, the Western New York culture was hunting, fishing, uh, a lot of hard work outdoors. Moved to Georgia, and it. I never played sports uh, a lot until right. I moved down here. And then, yeah, I, I got involved in sports and, you know, was, was pretty good for the area and uh, developed some relationships through sports and really uh, 
learned uh, the games through um, practicing, playing. And, and at that time, you didn't have ESPN and games right. on every week. So right. I found the one or two times a week that they actually showed a sport and I would I would just dive in and watch it. And that really led uh, led me to one of the uh, most impactful times in my life, uh, just watching a football game. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, you've been an entrepreneur pretty much your whole career, and we want to get to that in a minute. But uh, but before we do, you tell us a little about, you know, any entrepreneurial things you did as a kid. You know, was there the paper route? Was there, you know, firewood that you made for sale or or other things that you got yourself involved with at an early age where, you know, you maybe were inspired by our uh, capitalist economy? Yeah, no, I, I would say my number one thing that held on to me is I, I was an organizer. I was okay. somebody that enjoyed uh, having ideas and attempting to to put those ideas into place and hmm. develop some little games and, and different things. Nothing that I turned into sales or or revenue, but I, I did growing up in a body shop. I, I learned that that work. So I was the, the high school guy that if you wanted your car striped or painted or repaired, um, people would come to me and it yeah. was, uh, it was neat, uh, at, at that age to be, have that knowledge that people wanted. And, and, and how, how old were you when, you when you were doing that work? Yeah, I was, I was 14, 15, 14, 16. Wow. Yeah, so, so did you do an apprentice or how did you get involved in that business? Yeah, that was, that? again, that was my dad. Oh, was dad's. Me, okay. Forcing, it, yeah. yeah. Forcing me to, to come help him. Yeah. Work during the week. And so if, if you were idle, that wasn't a good thing. So, <laughs> so I was I was brought along and, and I learned that. So buying buying cars, fixing them up, selling yeah. them is, is where I learned a little bit about um, just that skill and, and managing that with with friends and family. Right, right. Now, was it your parents' vision that you'd go on to college? You'd mentioned that you're one of the few of your generation that have done it, or, or was that more self-motivated? Yeah, that that was from my myself. My yeah. my dad, my mom would have preferred to join him in business and yeah. and grow grow that body shop life and that body shop business. And I did not know what I wanted to do, but I, I right. did know that 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 life just was not of interest to me. So yeah. I really just wanted to go to college at that at that time to play sports. Right. Um, I knew I wanted to play sports in college, so I was drawn to school to to play sports at a small college, and then uh, during that time there, really was uh, gravitated towards the business world and just yeah. learning more about business. So ended up getting a degree at uh, University of Georgia, not right. far, right. you know, right there in Athens. Yeah, and you got your degree in accounting, I believe. Is that correct? That's right. I, yeah. I, as somebody that went through a lot of classes and didn't really uh, perform well, you know, I was a B student, C student, and and I worked hard for those Bs. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't just natural, but um, what I discovered in accounting, uh, the class started with about 100 people, and after a few weeks, there was only about 20 of us left. So <laughs> I, I said, you know, and I was the highest scorer in that class i said yeah. I think i'm gonna focus on the county this this just comes easy numbers came numbers. easy to you yeah, yeah, yeah. numbers and percentages and the opportunity to just see things work in a in that system was just uh made it real easy for me so yeah. i made that decision just to pursue accounting at that time 
Well, it's a great foundational uh, area of study as well. You know, even if you choose don't to, to go into accounting as an entrepreneur or, you know, running your own business or running someone else's large business, having that understanding of numbers is, is critically important. Um, University of Georgia. So, so did you do part-time jobs? Did you have to, did you do a scholarship? How did you, you know, kind of finance that part of it? Mom and dad help you out? You know, we weren't in a position where uh, my parents could help other than the, you know, just to help with meals or or laundry, you know, what what moms do is just make sure you have, you know, what you need each and every week. And that was a true blessing for me. Financially, it just, we weren't a family that had extra income to do that. So um, I worked, uh, I pretty much worked. Every Saturday, in fact, I tell people the I graduated Georgia, and the first time I didn't have to work a Saturday in my life, uh, I felt like I made it. But uh, but through college, <laughs> you have classes during the week, so you either work, you know, those afternoons, evenings, or weekends to make up that money and sure, pay for sure. pay for the bills. And did, did you work for Dad then during that period of time, or or were there other jobs that you had during college years? Yeah, I worked in all places uh, a paint store. So I sold oh, paint to right. uh, to construction companies, to painters, and and to in in Athens at that time to designers and uh, interior decorators. And really uh, became that job became part of uh, that environment in Athens, Georgia. Right. Every, every, everything wrapped around the university and. A lot of the work wrapped around the university and people in that area. All right. What was that first job you took out of college? It was as a with an accounting firm in South Carolina. So okay. I was I, I was hired in my junior year, which was nice, and then finished my degree and went right from graduating to working in a CPA firm, a regional CPA firm. Yeah, going to audit or tax, or to have you do a little bit of both. Yeah, I, I did both. And, you know, their goal was to prep you to for a CPA and sure. to stay with them and to get clients. So I got to be experienced in all areas. Great. And did you go on and get your CPA while you're at that regional firm? I did. I did. I, I passed it um, in, within that two year window and got the experience and got my CPA and kept it for several years. And then right. even in business, I kept it. I, I don't have it now, but right. uh, it was a lot of hard work to get to that. To get that degree, I can imagine. Yeah, help on to that. W- what was the first time you started managing people? Yeah, that's a great question. When I moved from a large that regional larger CPA to a smaller CPA, I had a staff of one underneath me. So that was my first time to <laughs> actually have team meetings and to manage people and to manage clients, sure. or I was responsible for that. So that that was my first step in management. Yeah. Did, what are some of the you know kind of early leadership challenges you found in that job, if any? Yeah, I, I think just navigating of what your personality is, what yeah. what your character is like, and how you want people to work with you and around you, and navigating um, developing a mission and a vision and how to execute hmm. at, a, at a team level. Uh, sports did teach some of that. Um, right. Honestly, that was a very good help. Some of the classes I had uh, taught that, but within the business setting, uh, to have people excited about doing work that maybe they're not excited um, about and communicating, that was all kind of a lesson learned 
one of the things I did to improve on that pretty quickly is I joined a lot of uh, organizations mm. and civic organizations and yeah. church, uh, my church that I joined at that time. And, and one thing with any, I'm going to say charity or any civic organization or any group that is really trying to make an impact in the community is they need and will take on pretty much anybody that volunteers to help. And so, right. Um, I I found myself gravitating towards leadership roles in those organizations, some of it with my accounting background, but some of it with just the background to to come alongside and help. And um, that that really was my first step in uh, team building with multiple people, uh, scheduling meetings, uh, setting goals, trying to achieve goals. And that taught me a lot at that time. Yeah. So Kegel Bloom and Company, tell us about that. Was that a, a company you founded or uh, it, was, it was in the accounting area, correct? Or, or what were you doing at that time? Yeah. One of the things I discovered is accounting full time was not something I wanted to do for yeah. the rest of my life, even though right. I was, was relatively good at it and had some really great clients. Uh, uh, Kegel and Bloom was started with uh, Casey Kegel and myself to consult with a lot of the same businesses I did accounting for, but in the area of uh, fundraising, okay. equity raising, developing yeah. business strategies. Yeah. So really took our, our core skill a little, little higher at that time. And in the North Georgia market, we were able to help companies, uh, you know, help mediate companies with investors and bring in the funding that was oftentimes needed for their business plan. Yeah. Yeah. And then how did that evolve into, it was tab merchandising next. Is that correct? Is that where you went after that? Uh, yeah. So my, my goal was to manage or be part of several organizations, uh, primarily to develop multiple sources of income. And that, sure. at that time, I felt like that was the best way, uh, you know, for me uh, to help businesses and learn businesses and, and also produce, um, you know, the income goals that I had. Um, however, you learn quickly that business is a lot more difficult uh, than you expect, and to make a profit is very difficult. Yeah. And a lot of businesses in their first few years are not able to do that. That's and a right. lot of people try, yeah. and yeah. you're just not able to put all of the pieces together and, and make a profit. And it's a lot of hard work for, for little income. So my goal was to build several several revenue streams and to do that. Um, some of them were successful, some of them were not. Nice. Uh, but one of those ventures was uh, a company called Tab Merchandising at the time. And that kind of opened my eyes to the service model for large retailers around the country. Mm. And primarily did work uh, for Lowe's out of the gate. And I, I learned uh, what those project needs were and how to, to work with larger uh, retailers and that led to opportunities with Lowe's and Walmart, Target, right. and other companies like that. So Prime was founded in, uh, I think, December of 2003. What, tell us a little bit about that venture um, and, and, you know, how it's grown today and, you know, what you do. You know, just, just give us a little bit of a thumbnail sketch in your current footprint. Yeah, so my time at TAB uh, was very helpful in understanding part of the industry but I had a desire to learn more and to do more in the industry with, with more clients and on a, on a larger scale. So yeah. I started Prime with four other owners. 
to provide at that time fixture installation, store fixture installation to national retailers in the U.S. Um, and that primarily the, like the targets, big box stores, grocery, who, who are you, who are you focusing on at retail or, or all of the above? Yeah, no, initially it was the big box, uh, retail clients. Yeah. It, it yeah. was Lowe's, Home Depot, Walmart, Target, yeah. some of the bigger brand, uh, bigger yeah. footprints. And it, during that time, we were primarily doing new store setups, yeah. which would include installing anything within the new store and that. The fixtures, cash wraps, fitting rooms, racking, shelving, the, shelving, the gondolas, wow. and doing some of the merchandising. Uh, and we kind of changed, evolved, not necessarily by our own decision, but the recession, the housing recession hit right. around that time. And all of the new uh, store projects stopped. I mean, they, they didn't slow down. They just stopped. Hmm. Uh, so we had to pivot as a company. Yeah. And we reinvented ourselves, if you will, as a company that could help with remodels. And okay. we added a construction team quickly uh, to take advantage of our same clients that liked working with us, but didn't have the new projects. Right. However, right. they did have their current stores that needed remodels. And so we're, thankfully, we were able to pivot, start working with some of those same clients, and then gradually added new clients in that construction space, uh, which involves smaller construction scopes within their sure. their footprints, but on a multi-site, multi-state level. What was the insight that led you to that? I mean, obviously there was the, as you said, not the slowing down, but the stop of, of new stores. Uh, did you take a look around or did you get requests from clients about the remodeling direction? How did that come about? Yeah, you know, sometimes just out of um, maybe scrambling, you, you yeah. say, how do we maintain this organization? How do right. we see this through? What what does this look like? I think the first few months, honestly, it was, let's navigate through this. And then when it comes back, uh, we'll be in good shape. Well, yeah. the, things got worse. Um, I would say, uh, Brent, that's a great question. The number one thing is we kept communication up with our clients. And yeah. we yeah. developed relationships strong enough to find out how we could uh, work with them. Is there right. other opportunities in the organization? And not knowing at the time that there was, um, just opening that dialogue allowed yeah. us to pursue a couple opportunities that fit our skill set. We did a couple projects. They turned out very well. Mm. That client um, had a need. Uh, for more work and a couple of, of key customers at that time really came to us with big programs and, and even during those times offered uh, deposits to help get wow. companies through the recession. Wow. Uh, so that really was that olive branch to wow. our organization to grow. Well, it sounded like they really embraced you. And and did you recover your, your revenue stream pretty rapidly going down that direction and, and grow from there? Yeah, actually, I would say the light went off. We we saw a, a limited opportunity before. Now, we kind of looked across the industry and said there is a tremendous opportunity to do this for a lot of customers yeah. around the country. So, yeah. we we kind of entered that building phase of of the the opportunities and say how do we grow internally? Though part of the story is we did have. Um, with, with multiple owners, we had some internal um, conflict with what to do next and mm. how to do things. And 
and how to manage a company. And, and that was probably holding us back more than anything. How did that get resolved? I was ready and prepared to leave. I, I yeah. felt at that time that I had a mission, a personal mission, uh, a, a mission and how to manage uh, business. And I was prepared to step away and do that on my own. Yeah. Uh, however, um, the opportunity came up to replace, um, and, and this happened in good dialogue. So none of this was a, the conflict is not always bad, right? Conflict right, sure. just means there's two different approaches right, right. to something. So uh, we just worked on, you know, what would work in the company. And right. I, I was steadfast in company mission and company purpose, core values. Um, and uh, God really worked out uh, the pieces. Uh, yeah. the, they, you know, the other owners were willing to sell. Um, the primary other partner um, had some medical medical difficulties and needed to step away from the business. So I was able to now put my, you know, my branding, if you will, my personal mission on the company. Right. And that, that allowed us to go down a path that better matched what I think companies yeah. should be about. Did you buy out any of the partners or did some others exit as you proceeded or, or did folks line up with regards to that vision and mission? Yeah, all the equity owners I bought out, I felt mm -hmm. like uh, for me, I needed to have 100% of the right. organization if we were going to follow my mission and, and my core values. Right. I needed to be the one that was liable for that and responsible for that and I, I had a counsel from some folks that pretty much said, you know, if you want to, uh, if you want to own a hundred percent, you're probably going to have to pay more to the other owners. Mm -hmm. So I was willing to, um, in, you know, have a good negotiation and pay a really fair value for it. And everybody seemed to have a win-win out of that situation. Yeah. And, but that, that, that met and that, was also important to me to have a gracious um, separation of that and to right. make sure everybody uh, felt that we did the right thing. And I, I feel to this day that, and I know to this day from several of the folks that were involved that that was a good, not easy, but it no. was a, a right and fair and reasonable way to to move the ownership Just around. Yeah. And, and when did that take place, Donald? How many years ago was that? That's a great question. I. I I think it was around 2013. And okay. So kind of coming out of the recession. Took, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Just as we entered back out of the recession, yeah, right. uh, the opportunities to grow were there. That's when I really pushed for it. Yeah. Awesome. And today that split between new fit outs versus the remodeling as a percentage of your business, how does that fall out? Yeah, we have four primary uh, business divisions. One is our construction team, which historically has been our larger, over 50% of our revenue. And that construction is the new, the new fitting out, right? It's the new but, stores. Uh, well, the store? construction is the, some new build outs, rebranding, okay. special projects, small remodels. Then we have our installation team, which is okay. about 30% of our business. Got it. And that's the, the gondolas, the fixture racking installation. Right. Then we have an electrical division that does power, alternative oh, power. 
okay. supplies, right. some solar right. energy charging stations, nice. uh, backup generators. And then one of our newer divisions, but probably one of our highest growing one is our technology deployment team that oh. we added. Uh, what we discovered in a lot of our projects is that there's two needs. Usually no matter what project you do, whether it's installation or construction, there's technology being deployed in some manner. Sure. So having the ability to do the electrical plus actually deploying that technology as well as uh, managing and servicing that yeah. technology has given our our entire brand an opportunity to uh, to be involved in projects that maybe before we weren't involved in. Well, and that's nice too because then you keep an ongoing pulse with that client and you're servicing them over longer periods. Well, that's exactly right. The, the more we can offer to our clients and keep that relationship evolving is one of our goals. Yeah, awesome. And, and how many employees today? We have 450 employees. Wow, today. fabulous. And are they all in Georgia or do you have different offices to serve different uh, you know, clients across the country? Across the yeah, country? In, yeah, in the U.S. we have uh, our field force and our corporate offices are spread out throughout the country. Our, right. our corporate office is still based in Georgia. Yeah. Majority of our individuals used to work here. Now a lot of them work from home. And then we kind of spread out across the country with field managers, project uh, managers, superintendents, and then field teams. Right, right, cool. And do you have a, a corporate uh, executive set up there with you in Georgia or are your folks, given the last couple of years of the pandemic now more remote? How, how do you kind of, you know, where's your executive team, I guess, in terms yeah. of physical yeah, location? Yeah, connectivity? we're... No, that's a good question. We're based in Flowery Branch, Georgia, and okay. we're running about 40% in office, 60% is okay. virtual. Yeah, yeah. And and what was it pre-pandemic? Pretty much 100% in? Did you have any remote at all? No, it, it was highly old school. It was yeah. everybody needed to be in the building at a certain time and work right. together. And we were probably a little slow in adopting um, the ability to work well virtually we yeah. were we were forced to work virtually right. i would say we worked well <laughs> and really until the last six months yeah yeah and do you think that'll be the new normal that 60 40 split for for uh primary retail moving forward yeah we're gonna make we're gonna maintain a virtual workplace yeah. uh, and probably grow it what what we've learned is that one of our employee benefits uh, that is very near and dear to the majority of our employees is the ability to work from home. Yeah. Part of their schedule. And right. I don't see um, that that will ever go back to a full time right. uh, in office work schedule. Well, you know, pre pandemic, and as you know, I work in executive recruitment done it for a number of years. And, you know, the, the, the numbers were already in. You know, folks that work remotely typically have higher productivity, um, higher retention rates usually lower costs and, and lower medical bills <laughs> just because they're, you know, they're just a lot happier and healthier. And I think, you know, while the pandemic has been so brutal in, in so many ways, you know, one of the key benefits is just learning how we can work better. And, uh, you know, sometimes that uh, means for some uh, coming into the office where they need to have that camaraderie and the, the, the water cooler chat, uh, but other folks, you know, frankly, work a lot better independently in the home. Well, you know, you mentioned that, and I was not aware of the medical point oh, yeah. that you just made. Yeah. But yeah, the Lower overall attitude yeah. seems to be um, more excited about work. Yeah. Um, but I guess there's two parts to that. Yes, there's a there there's a 
joy in being able to work from home and virtually. Um, but I also think the truth is that that's almost uh, considered a requirement now for a lot of people when they are searching for work. And right. that that's if true. you don't allow for that, I think, you know, we would miss out on a lot of quality right. people right. if we didn't offer that. Yeah, I, I have a client that did literally a 180, had been a San Francisco-based, horrible to recruit for <laughs> because the costs are so high and their office, there wasn't even any parking near the office, you know. <laughs> so every time he calls, oh, really, David, do I have to do this again? Yeah. And and they, you know, through the pandemic learned that uh, they could do a, another approach and now they're totally virtual. They've shut that office down and we're recruiting in parts of the country with wonderful talent at a much you know, sharper, uh, you know, ability to attract and, and bring folks in that, you know, they didn't have before. And it's, it's been amazing to see how many companies have transformed because of that. No, that's an excellent point. I know we're looking for a couple positions now and, and the ability and the mindset to say, you know, this position could be anywhere, yeah. not only in the country now, yeah. but in the world Right, is, yeah. is a way that we can develop our business where historically we could not. So I'm, I'm excited to see how some of those relationships work out moving yeah. forward. Yeah, fabulous. You talked a little earlier about core values and mission. And tell us a little bit about what that looks like at Prime Retail. And, and importantly, how is you as the owner and CEO kind of propagate that? Yeah, and, and mission is dear to me. I, I know for business classes and you see mission out there a lot, but for me, it's personal. It, yeah. My personal mission um, it is critical to my life. It's a faith-based mission with my, mm -hmm. my wife, my family, my community. Uh, and it motivates me each and every day to live that out fully, to be able also to bring that mission to business and to our company and to, uh, to see that lived out through our, our core values and the decisions we make on a daily basis. Uh, just provides for me the motivation and the direction uh, to be able to cast a vision mm -hmm. uh, for our team, um, for those that we're involved with. And our mission isn't just for our employees. It applies to everybody we come in contact yeah. with. In fact, our mission is to be great at managing projects and to make a lifetime impact on those we encounter. And that includes uh, customers, clients, mm -hmm. vendors, competitors, mm -hmm. uh, companies that don't want to work with us. We want to make, I want to make a positive impact, a lifetime impact mm -hmm. on those individuals worldwide. Our, our vision is to do it, to, to make that impact to millions of people around the world. And that sounds like a huge deal, but I've seen it happen. I've seen mm -hmm. it happen in small steps. So part of my uh, you know, legacy, if you will, or part of my mission is to live that out fully each and every day. Yeah. And to see that impact and to receive, uh, to measure that impact, not only see it and have a goal of doing it, but to measure it and to yeah. see the reward of that impact happening and that our company can make decisions and set strategy based on impact being one of our five areas of alignment. Mm -hmm. Well, it starts from the top and it sounds like you're a CEO that exhibits that every day. But, you know, new employees come in and, and you're growing and folks that have stuck around for a while probably know a little bit about it, but you know, how do you kind of get that cultural message communicated to those that are joining you today? Yeah. Communicating culture is by far the hardest task I've ever had. Yeah. Um, 
changing culture when I stepped in and, and moving that big ship in the ocean to to get everybody on board to the mission and the purpose um, was difficult. It was very difficult. And, and a lot of people didn't buy in and they yeah. chose to, to leave. They just yeah. didn't trust how our core values relates to our mission and how right. I'd rather be uh, unsuccessful in certain areas with the right mission than successful and not meeting our mission. Um, probably the where we have not done a good job um, is to make sure that we communicate our mission to new employees. And we're real good at explaining what the mission is and what our core values are, but we don't measure it. So yeah. one of the tasks I have this year is to provide more background and history on why our culture is so important. I'm able to do it externally with clients and vendors. I'm and then internally, we need more training and development time to mm -hmm. focus on that. So we've started some lunch and learns, and uh, that is where I miss that personal interaction, quite honestly. I, I, when we had the ability to meet right. uh, within right. the office and know everybody was there, it was much easier than it is now. So yeah. videos help, uh, information helps, but it, until you can work with somebody one-on-one, -on -one, which is difficult with 450 employees, right? So, um, <laughs> Yeah. But until we can really have those times together, it's hard to enforce that other than uh, training leaders to train others and right. just multiplying that mission out. Eventually, hopefully it, it, it becomes part of what they think the company is about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Donald, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? Yeah, that's changed over the years. So I, yeah. uh, the COVID time, it, it caught, taught me a lot of things uh, about individuals and what is important to individuals and what they say is important and what mm -hmm. they really act on when difficult times come. Yeah. So I've shifted gears to more of focusing on individuals that are high performers. Mm -hmm. uh, they are individuals that can turn clay into a pot. They're, they're people <laughs> that can that, that can come in and can take something that you give them, and they are a, they have the ability uh, to make that into something special. And so yeah. I've shifted from uh, individuals that I felt like were uh, individuals that would mold well with our team, uh, just based on certain characteristics to individuals that um, can work on their own, as we talked about with the virtual workplace, right. and can perform and have a vision and direction and can perform at a high level. Do you have a favorite question that gets at that when you interview folks? Yeah, you kind of started it out. And um, what I'd like to know is what created the person? And you asked me what legacy did my parents leave? And I think most people, um, for my, I'll say it this way. When, when I had to sit by my father in a, in a, merge, a hospital room and give the nurse the direction to pull the plug, oh, I didn't realize at that time that they actually come in and they pull the plug. They had literally pull it from the wall. Right. And that shocked me. And, that to hear the beat go from a, a moving beat 
to uh, solid beef, which means mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. Um, I sat there and I, I just considered, you know, what made me, did, did my dad instill things into me and that helped create certain characteristics? Yeah. And it did. Yeah. But others, their characteristics may have been developed by their father or may have been they didn't have a father. Right. Or it may have been they had a great father or a terrible father or, or yeah. With, yeah. with parents or no parents. So I'd I like to know what what created their their character. Yeah. What created that? Because as I as I sit in a room or as I'm talking to you, I realize that certain things happened in your life to get you where you're at today. I don't know what that is. Um, but I'd like to know. So with somebody that's joining our, our company or that I'm meeting, I like to know, and, and again, this cut applies to vendors and clients, what what got them there? So that, that uh, you know, if you're able to get to those discussions, that kind of pulls the qu- curtain back a little bit to right. tell you more about that person and what makes yeah. that person up. Yeah, yeah, love it. Well, Donald, you've been very, very generous with your time, but we always have one last question we ask all our CEO guests because we've got a a lot of listeners out there who are obviously looking at their career. Maybe they're a decade or two behind us. And, you know, what would you tell them in terms of career and life advice to someone who maybe has their eyes on a corner office or maybe wants to be an entrepreneur like yourself? No, uh, this is what I have said and and will continue to say is, I would encourage each person to be settled in what their life vision is Mm -hmm. and what they know is their purpose. And different individuals can get settled in different ways. Uh, For me, it was my faith. um, And it was determining that I, as a person that says that they're of faith, that my life needed to indicate that. And that those around me would agree that that was the most important thing in my life. So once you're able to settle what really is important in your life, then you're able to remove distractions and set a path for the direction you feel like you need to go. And I would say, uh, don't, don't desire a corner office or a CEO role unless you feel like you're settled in that you need to be, responsible in that type of situation. And then I would say, once you once you settled and determined that that is the direction you need to go, and that is the best use of your skills and gifts um, that, you know, that God gave you, that you have, then you need to give full diligence uh, to working on that every day. Um, I often come across people um, that will say, I really would like to do this. And, I always question them with, are you doing this today? And most of the time that answer is no. And my response is because I responded to myself this way is, and that's why I I needed to buy everybody out. My my response would be, I don't think you really want to do it if you're not already starting to do it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So true. So take, take that, take that purpose, understand it, be settled in it. And then, execute ideas are cheap execute is gold start executing (laughs) on your path wise words sage council donald bloom (laughs) president and ceo at prime retail services thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office brandon went by fast but I, i really enjoyed it and thank you so much for the time 
Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.